0: Welcome to Crypto Talk Radio, the podcast for everyday investors like you. Visit us on the web at CryptoTalkRadio.net. And now, here's your host, Leister. Thank you for that, Bailey, and welcome everybody out there on Crypto Talk Radio, found at CryptoTalkRadio.net. A lot's drizzling around the world of cryptocurrency, and I don't know what to make of the vast majority. That rhymes. I'm not, as I repeated uh, on Twitter, I'm not going to be discussing the... Uh, Ben Armstrong, formerly known as BitBoy Fiasco, because that's what it is. I refuse to discuss that topic. I'll summarize it, because it may have an impact on your cryptocurrency that you are holding or watching. So there's a long, very winded, very terrible story behind what happened, but it all culminated into Ben Armstrong being briefly arrested while he was live-streaming. He went to this guy's house, says, again, there's a long story behind it. I'm not doing. He went to the guy's house, went into a rant outside the guy's house. Police showed up. They called the cops on him. Police showed up, took him away in cuffs. Apparently, the Duchess of DeFi was in the truck with him. I have no idea why he is out there at that. That's their whatever. Alternate video showed the person that owned the home had him, BitBoy, been on camera apparently ringing and running like a child that's what we saw so if you're interested in that feel free to go to social media and dig in i'm not going to go and dignify it further but because of this there was some negative sentiment across cryptocurrency it's just another symptom it uh, you know so let's get into some more interesting topical things that i think are more worth your time Coindesk decided to play some games, so I decided to switch over to TradingView, that's TradingView.com, at least for today. I'm sure they'll change it back because they keep jacking it up, but TradingView.com, I got a chance to look at Ethereum. I was specifically looking for my month chart because I find that to be most beneficial and informational, and it shows that we're slightly down. Of course, it's not as self-intuitive as Coindesk was, that's fine. It's We're slightly down is what it is down About three percent, a low of about fifteen ninety as we as we speak. I think it dipped down I want to say like fifteen seventy. It wasn't very low, and then it came back up again and stabilized. So personally, as I look at it, I don't I'm not concerned with what I see. I say this, but on the other side, on the altcoin side, things look a lot more dire. Things are a lot more red. The alternative, the, the exception rather, is Shibarium, and I'll get to that in a second. But it's middling state. It's not complete crap out, it's middling state. And there's still the belief that we're going to go on a run sometime in early 2024. That hasn't changed from my eyes, at least. Others may emphatically disagree, and I celebrate their right to emphatically disagree with me. Looking at Bitcoin, Bitcoin went on a slight run. It wasn't anything significant. It was eaten back up. I want to say it was a low of like 26 like twenty six grand even and then up back to 26 too. So middling. But if you look at the long term of Bitcoin, Bitcoin's long term is a little bit stronger than it was before. There's still the impression it's going to go on a run, but its run is expected to be, significantly stronger than ethereum's run. We can't say for sure, but that's the expectation. Part of this is tied to what's going on in the larger markets. So NASDAQ went down ever slightly. That was a little bit of a hurt. But the holding of the percentages with the FOMC and everything else seemed to keep things strong against this disruption. I would say, if you're getting into Bitcoin, I would suspect we're probably going to go a little bit lower. That's my theory. It's only a theory. A little bit lower. I don't, I'm, I'm going to keep my eye on that one because I'm, I'm intrigued now of, at what I see and the long-term sentiment, long-term potential of what's going on here. On the news side, recently IRS put out a proposal. This proposal freaked a lot of people out. The proposal is, it's a byproduct of things that have happened in the past. So all it's doing is responding to something that happened before. There was a, a little bit of chatter, and I believe this was earlier in the year where what they were trying to do, they meaning the United States government, pronouns, bro. They were trying to slip in taxes, increase taxes on miners, M-I-N-E-R-S for cryptocurrencies. And basically say if anybody who was mining, you have to pay these taxes and do some tax reporting as part of whoever's mining the cryptocurrency of who's profiting off this business. So this is, is in response to the failure of that one. Here's what I mean. When that one went south, when that one was not, that one wasn't going to go anywhere in the first place, but when that one went south, what it did is they said, okay, well, if we can't go after them, we're going to just change certain definitions and use that as a back, it's kind of a backdoor, an end run, if you will. This proposal spins primarily around stakers and staking, but does not make a clear delineation around the type of stakers or staking that may be impacted by what's going on. Let me clarify what I just said. Here's the simplified definition of staking, the very dumb simple, and there will be people out there on YouTube out there in interwebs, out there on social media, who will emphatically disagree with my definition. That's why it's called a dumb simple definition. It's designed to dumb it down as much as we can without losing the basic spirit of what we're saying. At the core, when assets are staked for a blockchain, you are adding stability to the blockchain by providing your assets as a form of or to be used as a form of liquidity, as a form of asset availability. If you're holding it in your wallet, tokens are not available to the liquidity pool because you're holding them in your wallet. So they have to come from somewhere. If you don't mint more, and obviously minting more does what? It's an inflationary situation. Inflation tends to decline the value of each. So the alternative is you have to present liquidity in some form. If it's an extremely popular token, The liquidity is natural. There's constant buys and sells. And as people sell, their tokens back to the pool. That helps replenish. As people buy, it takes away. And there has to be a healthy balance. When exchanges come into play, exchanges basically accelerate this process for how the buys and sells can transact because you're no longer subject to the whims of a smart contract in the middle. It's literally just a transaction between you and the exchange or you and another party. When you stake your tokens in the pool, you're basically making them persistently available, essentially that it helps the flow of this. What this proposal is trying to say is there is a benefactor aspect to staking. You wouldn't stake your tokens if you didn't get something for it. In most cases, you're getting staking rewards as a benefit of staking your tokens to the exchanges or to the, the blockchain. What they're trying to do is essentially an end run around what the SEC was trying to call out by targeting the benefits and saying all of these providers of staking services, all of these brokers, as they define them for staking services, all the ones that facilitate the staking process end to end should be required to document the expected benefits in the form 1099. This is the United States specific, the form 1099 documents profits that are made as a contractor. So basically as an independent person, entity, company, you made XYZ. And because you made XYZ, you owe ABC taxes when you calculate your taxes. And the form is basically saying you made XYZ. That's all it does. So what they're saying is that they want these staking entities considered like an ever-rise, Right? These staking entities, they want them to document how much staking rewards were made and then the equivalent value of those rewards to the person who made them. And then they're required to file the form 1099, submit that to the person who needs to now account for that on their taxes. In lieu of this, so the question is, well, if they don't do that, what is the answer? If they don't do it, in the United States, people are required to document their own tax situation. And they're required to then go in when they file their taxes and say, I have XYZ money that I've made as part of ABC transactions. Because I have this money, I have to, I'm telling you, IRS, that I owe you whatever dollar amount. Now, most people don't do that. Most people kind of cheat the system, let's be honest, which is why the IRS is trying to force the issue with this situation. They're trying to come in and say, We need to force it. We need to force them to document so that they can go and account and do audits on this collection. That's what this is saying. This can trigger a bearish, strong, bearish sentiment. Number one, because most of these organizations that do this staking, they're not real companies. They don't have the framework, nor do they want to, to be able to populate and generate 1099 forms. There's never been software to be able to do that alongside staking because it contradicts the DeFi element in the first place. So the theory is that many of these organizations will simply leave the United States and go to Dubai or somewhere else that doesn't care as much. Now what happens? We're right back where we are right now, which is it's kind of an honor system. Cross your fingers. If you go to a central exchange, most of them, will comply with the United States government, like a Kraken or a Coinbase, they'll comply and they'll give you the forms that you need based on any profits. Well, if you're only in the decent space, as in you don't store your stuff in the exchanges, you don't do trading on the exchanges, you really didn't make any profits. If you haven't sold any of it, if you're holding it, you hold it. You haven't sold it, so you haven't realized any profits. This goes back to an episode I did a little while ago about realized and unrealized gains and losses. On the business side, not on the personal, but on the business side, businesses have always wanted to document unrealized losses. They have always been required to document unrealized gains, talking cryptocurrency, but not unrealized losses. When you don't have both, it gives an imperfect picture of where business status is. Because if you, if you bought in and Bitcoin crapped because you bought at the high, You're sitting on major losses. The IRS wouldn't let you report that. So you're basically saying, well, gee, I'm screwed. So when they got the IRS to change that law, that helps them. But on the personal side, you're required to report both sides. Well, if you never sold and you have significant losses, that actually could be a tax benefit. However, it's not necessarily all daisies because you're also having to report how much crypto you hold and own. And again, it's an honor system. So I call it to attention because it may affect your portfolio depending on what it is that you're invested in. And hopefully you are doing tax compliance however you choose to do it and whatever method you choose to use to do it. That's up to you. Speaking of the SEC, very recently Congress slapped the back of the hand of the SEC and Gary Gensler, sent a letter to Gary Gensler directly and urged them to quote, approve. You will approve this spot Bitcoin ETF immediately because there was no logical reason not to approve it. And Congress felt we have the duty, as I'm paraphrasing, we have a duty to make sure that they approve these products that meet the requirements that we dictate. So this is different. This is Congress basically putting boots on the neck. And there's certain people don't like that term, but that's what it is. Because the standards around it, SEC is governed by Congress. Congress, for the first time in a long time, is actually stepping up and saying something to rein them in and corral them and saying, You're not going to go rogue. There's no reason for what you're doing. And it's transparent and we're going to stop you here and now. Quote, There is no reason to continue to deny such applications under inconsistent and discriminatory standards. This stance is untenable moving forward. So, this created a bullish sentiment. So, on the IRS side, you got them running rogue, creating a bearish. This creates a bullish sentiment. This was triggered because the SEC keeps blocking spot Bitcoin ETFs. Multiple applications. I named a few on the past episode. There's a few others came out, Bitwise, which I'm a fan of. I've I've talked about them. Van Eck is one, Galaxy's one, Invesco's one, Wisdom Tree's one. All they've done is support futures ETFs, not spot ETFs. Quote, a spot Bitcoin ETF is indistinguishable from a Bitcoin futures ETF. Thus, your posture is untenable moving forward. That's a direct line here. Think about this. In a futures ETF, it's essentially gambling. Let's be honest. That's really what it is. It's essentially gambling. That's a futures one. And that one was approved. They've approved a futures ETF. They have not approved a spot ETF. A spot ETF is pretty much price as. Here's my theory. I believe that the reason that the SEC is denying the spot ETF is, as some people speculate, to buy some time for the banks to catch up on what they're doing. They're, they're basically just kind of kicking the tires down the road. And so Congress getting involved is a good thing. I think it's a good thing, personally. And we'll have to see where it goes, but nothing's been done yet. I'm just saying that they've gotten involved saying, we need to fix this because what you're doing is not consistent, we're not gonna let it happen anymore. MoneyGram recently came out and said that we are gonna start supporting digital assets. If you didn't know, MoneyGram very recently had a minority stake that they sold to Stellar. Stellar, of course, is XLM. And immediately after this, they said, we're going to get into this and we're going to launch a non-custodial wallet. Of course, a non-custodial wallet is the same thing as Coinbase wallet in the sense that they're, it's your custody. They would not hold any custody over it. But what they want to do is to try to simplify the, the transition, the onboard, onboard, offboard, on-ramp, off-ramp process between fiat and digital currency. Stellar has been advising them. Stellar has been guiding them and saying, this is something we can help do, and it may help facilitate the money transfers. Of course, MoneyGram is one of the front runners for money transfers internationally, along with Western Union. So right now, today, it's, I've said it, it's very challenging for the on-ramp, off-ramp process for new people. It's hard. People say it's not hard. It is. There's too many hoops. There's too many steps. And I said, We've got to simplify your ability to get in. I also said I would support a world where we're using, let's say, CBDCs or something else to streamline the banking process. Here's a proposed, and this is just all in the air. Nothing exists, but it's a proposed way that this can be successful. One of these is to say you hold digital assets of some kind, let's say stable coins, let's say USDC. You hold these stable coins and you can cash them out At a money location, a MoneyGram location. Well, that's exactly what I was talking about. The idea that I should be able to walk into a bank and do this. Well, MoneyGram already has a simplified form of a KYC. They already have simple identifications. You have to show an ID. You know, they collect some basic information. You you have to go there physically usually, because it's cash, right? So, they already have kind of a simplified form of KYC to get past that hurdle. MoneyGram locations are all over the place. MoneyGram locations are all over the world. And in many countries, they're not equipped to transact with digital currencies, but they are equipped to transact with fiat. Now it gets really intriguing. The idea that you could have stable coins of any kind, let's say that you got some stable coins inherited, right? That somebody passed away, they were sitting on a bag of a bunch of USDC, and you need to get the cash out of it because you're, you know, it's going to change your life or something. I don't know. Well, now getting an easy way to cash this out without having to jump through the hoops of all these digital services. And it's a service, a money service broker that's available in any country. So you could send money to fans, excuse me, family or friends overseas as well to share in this. I think it's huge. I personally think this is strong bullish if they can pull it off. It also will be one of the very first To be able to simplify this down, this on-ramp, off-ramp process, to a very simple walk-up-and-get-it-done deal, this may even shut down all the sketchy Bitcoin ATMs that are scattered all over the place. I would love to see this take off. I would love to see this become a thing because I think it would accelerate adoption of cryptocurrency, in my personal opinion, anyway. I'm going to watch this from very close. In addition to my next bit of news, I'm going to watch that one very, 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 very close. JP Morgan and out here in the United States that takes the form of Chase as well as a few others but JP Morgan the organization that owns this recently sent a very surprising shocking and in some cases infuriating message it didn't surprise me of course I've been against them for many years but JP Morgan is it's a British it's actually a British deal it's, it's based in the UK but they have significant reach in the United States They sent out an announcement through Chase they're going to be banning cryptocurrency transactions starting October 16th due to an increase of, quote, scams. So what does this mean? The message basically says, quote, from October 16th, 2023, if we think you have made a payment related to crypto assets, we will reject it. So when they say payment, they did not specify the form. And I'll get to that in a second. They straight told people, if you want to get into cryptocurrency, you need to go to a different bank, so this is not negotiable, this is not going to shift or change or anything else. They did not distinguish whether they only meant your debit card, or they only meant ACH, or they only meant wires, they didn't distinguish any of this. What they're telling you, if you transmit money, and they think, whether they're right or wrong, they think that it's related to any sort of cryptocurrency transactions, they're going to block you. They're going to reject you. They're going to deny you the use of your money. If I were, and I've, I I did an episode, I think it was last year about this kind of garbage. And I did say, I think it was Wells. I, I, personal opinion, this is my personal opinion. I would find this unacceptable. Now I dumped Chase. Jeez, I had Chase back in 2013-ish and their site is garbage. They're freaking Everything's tied to your social, and if you know it's garbage. Long story. Point is, I dumped them a long time ago. I would advise, and it's up to you, but I would advise nobody support this decision. Not because it's cryptocurrency, but because no bank should be dictating the use of your money. It's your money. How you choose to spend it is how you choose to spend it. And I personally don't think it's appropriate for them to scan your transactions and make an arbitrary decision around how you use your money, this then, I'm sure, creates a bearish sentiment. Now, to be fair, I I believe that with the demise of Washington Mutual, the demise of Wachovia, and the demise of some of these other lesser banks that weren't as much, I do, and Union Bank, I do think Chase, Chase is ubiquitous. Chase is like the McDonald's of banking, like they're every freaking where. But they're a crap bank, in my opinion. They're a terrible bank, have done, uh, I actually just opened up a, a bank account down the street here. With a, it's a community bank, they're local, they're not nationwide, and it was a fantastic experience. I get personal experience. I, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm shocked at how pleasant it was. I've dealt with many banks, and I just wanted to have a physical one presence as a backup, right? And I was surprised at just how well theirs ran. Now the downside is you can't do wires online. You got to go into the bank to send a wire like the old days, and you know, I don't know their ATM limits, but it's probably the 500. But I can always walk in if I have to do that during business hours. They're right down the freaking thing. So I have regained a love for the local community banks and supporting them. seems like it's a reasonably newer bank. So that may be the reason why they haven't evolved. But I'm, I can't tell you what to do with your money. I will tell you. To me, I would never, ever, ever support something like this. I think it's garbage. And I think it's inappropriate for them to do that. Spotify, and for full disclosure, Crypto Talk Radio, found at CryptoTalkRadio.net, is effectively a Spotify podcast. Of course, we were Anchor, and then Anchor was a sub of Spotify, and then later Spotify essentially absorbed it in. So we're essentially a Spotify podcast. It is our main host today. I don't know if that will change, because I struggle to find a different platform that can do what I want it to do but I've not been dissatisfied with anything that they've done for us. We've been reasonably satisfied with it, you know, but this news is relevant to it. That's why I gave the disclaimer up front. Uh, Recently, and this has been going on a while, apparently there was a, there was an outcry where (laughs) I didn't know any of this. So I'm I'm trying to piece it all together because it doesn't affect me directly, but it was intriguing a little bit. So apparently somebody created a song using AI artificial intelligence and they tried to publish it on spotify as their own work spotify is very rigid with respect to what you own and rights and uniqueness and you know royalties and all that they're very picky about this kind of stuff and so they banned this song late now just recently they they opened it up and now they're they're allowing artificial intelligence to include automatic translation services for Uh, an artificial intelligence service. So this has benefits for me because it turns out, and I learned this through social media, that it turns out that we do have people that listen to the show and they come from different countries. I actually had somebody on the YouTube side. And if you didn't know, by the way, we did turn on our videos again. So I will actually be posting things like this to YouTube. But... I had someone on the YouTube side, they're from Libya, and they reached out and they gave us kudos because of the way I speak, because I, it's easy to understand, they say, it's easy to understand me. And I've had this happen on a couple of occasions where people say it's easy to understand what I'm saying. And I like that, but I recognize we do have translation in terms of the, you know, we can auto-translate our transcripts. But the idea of having a translated audio rendition of the podcast, it intrigues me. And so just the other day, they announced that they're going to be putting this out on a a rolling basis, starting with some of the more common languages. Primarily, it's going to be Spanish, French, and German, and then extending to later versions. And it's apparently going to be in the voice, like in my voice. Some people are lashing out against this. They don't like it. They don't like their voice being used and they're not getting any royalties for it, and I kind of see their stance. I kind of understand where they're coming from because it's like, this is my product. How can you do that? I don't mind it because it increases accessibility to more people to enjoy the content that I share. And I believe me, I am you know I I was I speak Spanish, but I'm certainly not fluent but I would love to be able to reach out to more people. It's it's always been a goal of mine to reach out to as many people as I can and the clarity of voice is key to this, it's important to this. So it is something I will play with at some point later, kind of get a sense of it, see what I think about it and chances are it's going to be an optional thing. Chances are it's gonna be something that you, you can disable if you don't like it or don't want it or maybe you wanna use an alternate service or something else so I will, test the waters and I'm not going to force anything if it doesn't make sense if it's not clear if it's not appropriate I'm not going to I'm not going to go forward with it but I do want to give you a heads up that it's out there and they are talking about doing it and I am going to be testing the waters on it speaking of artificial intelligence apparently in the video game industry and this affects something I just saw Video game actors are getting ready. They're gearing up. They're going to be striking around artificial intelligence and money. How can artificial intelligence be causing such a furor? Well, there's two elements I see. Number one, audio. So when you have voices in these games, or if you have depictions of people in the games, and obviously games, a lot of them are focused on trying to be realistic. I would say voices play it, music plays it, you know, depictions of people. We're getting in a world where artificial intelligence can do all of this, where you don't really need humans, hardly at all, except for a little bit of mocap, which is motion capture, maybe. Even then, you don't really need it as much. The voice acting is the big one. Voice acting on the AI side is significantly evolved from the, from the Apple and the Microsoft Bob era, where it sounds like this and you can't, easily tell that it is AI error. We're, we're long past that. It, we're now in a world where AI is able to create very realistic sounding voices. And this is making people very pissed off because those, they can charge a fraction of a penny, fraction to get that done. And so then they can charge even with their profits, just dollars where a regular voice actor is... I think I told the story. I don't know if I told it here or I told it on casual. But I told the story about trying to get a voice actor hired. And, you know, she, she wanted hundreds of dollars for 30 seconds. And I said, you know, there's services out there where, you know, an hour... You could pay $200 for an hour for the use of that girl's mouth. And here I wasn't going to pay hundreds of dollars for 30 seconds of the time. So I... As I see this strike and all this stuff, I'm I'm leaning more towards uh, against, I should say, the actors, not because I don't want them to get work. I believe that the prices, the rates are just out of control. They've been out of control in a while, and they're not getting any better. And I don't see that they're tr- that they got a reality check here, bro. It's like hundreds of dollars for 30 seconds of somebody's mouth is not acceptable. I'm sorry, we need to come back down to earth with what you're asking. Because the whole competition with AI, is com- the whole thing comes up because it's not competitive anymore, and we're not suggesting that you shouldn't get paid. I don't think anybody would suggest that you should not get paid. I say we should be getting to a point where it's reasonable of how much it costs to hire some of these people, whether that's for the motion capture side, whether that's in the voice acting side, whatever, songs, you know, whatever. We need to be more reasonable with what we ask, okay? Let's say, let's take a regular job, a regular labor job, and they're talking, I'll give you 30 bucks an hour, okay? And you're, you're like, Jesus, high?" It's not really. <laughs> it, it really isn't. 30 bucks an hour, that's what? Uh, 69 grand or something a year? It's not high. I can support somebody who wants to charge me 30 bucks an hour for the use of their voice, I support this, right? No problem. That's fair. Because you expect at that rate, they're going to get multiple jobs. So if I have five jobs at 30 bucks an hour, I'm making 150 an hour. Okay, now I'm at what? Well, geez, well over 300 grand a year. That's not chump change. But to charge like 300 bucks for 30 seconds? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, I believe a lot of these Actors and voice actors and songwriters, they're they're charging way too much. And I see see their logic in doing it. And I might do the same thing if I were them. I just think you got to be realistic with it now because we're turning it all into a commodity through no fault of anybody. That's just what's happening. Everything's becoming a commodity. The AI is easily available and it created a new industry where it's easy to do it. So there are some of these actors who are getting on board with that. They're saying, yeah, sample my voice to get on it and just pay me a royalty. And they're the smart ones, man. They're the smart ones. I think where the live actors come into play is when it's an excessive amount of script, right? So an excessive length of a video or an excessive song or an excessive script that needs to be read. We're talking hours and hours and hours And then again, you got to be competitive with it. And I think that's what's lacking. And so for me, I am leaning on the side against the actors, not because I don't want them to get paid, but because I think some of them are just got their head in the clouds in terms of how much they charge. And I want them to, it's like, come on, man, you got to come back to reality here, bro. Now, the last two I'm going to crash course through, and then we'll wrap up. First, it's important because it may affect it, but I think it's just a game of chicken again. And that's we're right back again with the whole government spending and the looming government shutdown because they've got bills that they can't agree on and they wait to the very last minute and then either stuff starts to shut down or that at the late hour they avert disaster by getting something signed. The reason this came up in relevance is because there are some cryptocurrency-related bills that are aligned in this and some of them are good and some of them are not. However, we got some that were really good that got passed very recently. It's all for naught because now we're at a point where we may not be able to fund the government. And if we can't fund the government effectively, the focus steers away from cryptocurrency. If, because what happens is these businesses start to furlough workers. If you're not in the United States, you may not know what a furlough is. A furlough says that you are basically forced to not be able to work. You're, you're required to not work. And it's almost always unpaid. So you're forced to take time off because the business essentially cannot pay you. That's a furlough. Or it's the claim that they cannot pay you, the claim they cannot afford to pay you for a period of time. I actually worked briefly, briefly for a company in 2019 that actually had a rolling furlough process. So literally every month, I believe it was, might've been every two weeks. It was it was a joke, but they forced you to take a day off because they didn't have enough, they claimed not to have enough money to fund the construction of a new parking structure. So they forced a furlough. And I told them, i like, I just started here. I have not made any money. I'm not doing that. I'm ready to work under salary FLSA regulation. If I'm ready to work and you can't just not pay me for one day, I'm here. If I'm ready to work, you will pay me. And they had to do an exception, but everybody else just kind of took it. And I'm like, screw you, bro. That didn't work for me, brother. And so when the companies furlough workers, which I think is an abusive practice that should be banned, frankly, but it's not. When they furlough workers, those workers can't make their ends meet. If they can't make their ends meet, they're not going to put money in cryptocurrency. If they have it in cryptocurrency, they're going to gut their cryptocurrency bags just to pay the bills. It has a downstream domino effect impact. So you don't want to see us getting close every single freaking time, unable to make a bill happen. And you're wondering, how is it that that happens? Why does it happen? It happens because there used to be a time when we would have every bill separately, duly noted. And you could review them, and they are only a few pages, and then we get them done. Over time, because ostensibly for efficiency reasons, they created this omnibus bill situation. Including in the omnibus is spending. Spending in all its form, all the different things that we spend on, whether it's border or military or government services, parks, and everything else. And they cram it all together in this glob and there's not enough time to review it. Or there's something that one side doesn't like, usually the Republicans, and so they refuse to sign it and then they go back and forth and they're negotiating all the way up to the last minute. And you're wondering, how is there a deadline? When it gets past that deadline, we basically default on the debt that we've sold to other countries. That's It's all a big Ponzi scheme, if you think about it. So that's what this is. And so the theory is, if we're not able to get this done, the government will shut down. The last time this happened was during the Trump administration, if I recall. And actually, I think it was one airport in New York completely shut down so flights couldn't come in from it. Well, that's huge. That's a huge impact on us. So it has an impact on you regardless of what you hold or do not because as this starts to affect us, not only is it the risk of things shutting down, but also the negative sentiment, the uncertainty, people's paranoia about being able to pay the bills and so on. So I do encourage you to keep an eye on that. The last bit I'll talk about is bone on the Shemarium ecosystem. Went on a little bit of a run today. It's the only one that went on a run. The run didn't sustain for very long. It's still running as I type this, but it didn't sustain very long. I'm gonna talk about what really happened. What happened is an announcement came out from the Shibarium team that said they're very close to minting the remainder of the tokens that are to be minted for Bone. After that happens, then the next step would be renouncement of the contract. After renouncement, the theory is that Bone will be listed on, on some top tier exchanges which then would cause a volume run. So the news as it comes out causes a bullish sentiment. It's the only one that went on a run just recently. It was a pretty good run because it went as low as like 78 cents, currently hovering just shy of 92 cents. That's huge. Now, there are going to be some people that take some profits off that run up because if they bought in at 78, I mean, even I was tempted to jump back in at 78 cents because I already knew it was going to go up. I, it's it's crazy. Because remember, it's it's high. It's true all-time highs like 15 bucks. Recently it went as high as like a dollar seventy-eight. So 78 cents, and then it jumps a minimum 2x. I mean, I was tempted. I didn't do it. I actually went a different route. And I think I was smart to do so. But anybody that was in bone that bought in at the low is able to take profits. And I encourage you do if you did buy in. I encourage you to take profits because I don't think this will last because Ethereum is being is is dropping. So no matter what until we get to a point where Shibarium is getting more traffic cuz this volume is way low. Until we get to a point where Shibarium is getting more traffic and more velocity and volume, I don't think Bones going to be able to sustain some of its run, but it is going to run up if it does get listed on KuCoin and Binance for sure. That's all I got. We're going to be back next uh on Tuesday here, excuse me, Thursday, not Tuesday. Thursday. We're going to be back and we got some very fun. I'm going to be talking about some fun stuff. I have an underdog token I'm going to be talking about. I will see you guys then.